Welcome to the Living In Podcast, a show that helps successful real estate teams accelerate their growth and impact. Livian, love how you live in all aspects of life. All right, so I'm here with Mia Yamashita, who is the director of Live Limitless Coaching. And Mia, for everyone who doesn't know who you are, uh, how would you describe yourself? I would describe myself as someone that is authentic and um, down to earth and excited about people and life and driven. So um, none of those were coaching or like business related, which is which is how I authentically know you to be, right? Um, I, I know business. But. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's interesting though. Like your like your identity wasn't first. I'm a coach and a business operator and all of these other things. Right. Where do you think that comes from? Um, I'm really clear on if I'm never not a coach or in business that I don't lose a part of who I am. Where does that come from, though? How, like, what, what's the, what's the story that runs in your brain that tells you that? It's um, so unusual. Yeah, I think that over time I learned how to identify what part of me shows up in those areas of my life, and that while I enjoy coaching and it's something that I'm passionate about, and I think that I'm talented at, and I enjoy doing on a regular basis, and I love growing a business, it's just something that I get to interact with in my life, and so it doesn't really define. My, I, feel, I feel like I could have that same experience in anything that I find interesting. So it doesn't define my being. Yeah. And so when you look at what you do for Livian, I guess, walk me through a little bit about what is Live Limitless Coaching and then what's your role in that? Live Limitless Coaching is a program inside of Livian that works with agents of all levels um, to coach them through business and life coaching. And so, you know, we primarily focus on the person and meeting them where they're at. And we have to toe the line of a lot of what we do is tied to metrics and production because that's the measurement of us doing really well um, or at least helping people to do what they're doing really well. And so we focus on the person and we help them to operate differently with their business and within life so that they have quality of life and they can make as much money as they want. Um, and I am the director of Live Limitless Coaching, and so um, I lead our, our coaches as we've been growing. We've been hiring more coaches and our operations staff, and then I'm still heavily into coaching right now for the foreseeable future. So you said it's person coaching, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting because I'm guessing that your objective is production. Yeah. So why coach the person or, or do life coaching instead of just focusing on productivity? Um, because without the person, the productivity doesn't really mean anything. It's not, a, it's not typically sustainable. So I, I spent a lot of time going back and forth on this, feeling like almost because the amount of time it takes to coach through that, that that value proposition wasn't as high because we weren't all, you know, go get five price reductions, go, 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 yeah. like go sell this many homes. Um, because people can, for a short period of time, sustain those types of activities. But when that's the driving force, they tend to have a lot of crash and burn, and it's that that real estate roller coaster. And so, um, something I got clear on in my own personal life was when I stopped interacting with the outcome and worried more about what was going on with me as a person, my outcome became exponentially larger than I could even conceptualize. And so, 
when we get really um, focused on the person, their whole world gets bigger, the ceiling goes away. It's interesting because, you know, if you think about some coaching programs are notorious for just like task-based coaching, right? It's really monitoring, beating the phones, uh, making, you know, a certain number of outbound dials every day and, and really being activity driven. But what I hear is that you're um, like mental, emotional, spiritual focused with your coaching program in order to drive productivity. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I, I had a lot of insecurities around that because I got started in the market center as a productivity coach and I was learning a lot about just that whole world in general. And we were at the birth of COVID where, you know, people were really afraid of what was going to happen next. And so we had to have productivity conversations, but people were having some real life experiences that very organically shifted us into this approach. And the insecurity that would show up for me as a coach is, am I doing, because this is what feels right. Yeah. This is what, this is what it seems that there's a need for. And we have to have production. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we are activities driven. We can't not be activities driven. And yet again, it's it's how we interact with those things that I think is the the difference. How do you figure out that balance between the two? We always have to figure out the thing that they are struggling with at that moment, and then um, or the thing that maybe they have an opportunity in, and then we just peel that onion. So like, okay, well. You say you want to get up every morning and you want to lead generate and you want to talk to X amount of people and you want to do X, Y, Z, and that's not happening. What do you think is holding you back? And so really what we end up doing is identifying patterns and conditioning and programming. And that's what we're working at is at the core level of, well, tell me a little bit about the narratives that you yeah. tell yourself every day. What makes that different from therapy? Like where's that blend between yeah. therapy and coaching? And you can't cross that line because yeah. I'm not a therapist. And I also don't think people should be coming to me for therapy. Although yeah. I think that we hear that a lot where they're mm -hmm. like, that's oh, like a therapy session. And it's really what's happening is they're being heard. Yeah. That's the difference. I think that's a positive, by the way. Yeah. When someone says that feels like a therapy session to me, that what it feels like is something drastically different than what they experience everywhere else. Right. And I'm always like, don't say that <laughs> because, well, because we're, I'm not, we're yeah. not. Um, but the difference is, is that, you know, we had advanced last year with Livian in, in Vermont and what people loved about it was that they felt like you were, they, they were being talked to as a person and that business rarely even came up in the conversation at advance. And that's a lot of the approach that we, we talk about business, but we talk to the person. And so it feels, it can feel like therapy because you're learning how to understand yourself. We're not prescribing things or, yeah. being, you know, but like we go do the work, we facilitate the work. And so what do you find then is the biggest, um, the biggest struggle that agents have when they join coaching that like prohibits them from hitting their goals? Is there a common theme that shows up? Yes, we are socially conditioned to know the right answer. And, okay. And to is be, it the right answer or just the answer people want to hear? That, that, and that's exactly what I mean by okay. that. Yeah, the rhetoric. Okay. Like we, we know that script, you know, in and out. And like, and in fact, your brain will release a lot of endorphins saying it, you want to do, like planning for that thing will actually feel better oh, yeah. than achieving the thing you're planning for. And so people want to come in and they want to spout that motivation and they want to be like, I'm going to go get up every morning at 5 a.m. Like, okay, well, what time do you naturally get up in the morning? Yeah. Because if it's not something that you currently have programming around, we're, we're already in a losing battle. And so um, when people can't get realistic about their reality, 
or when they are really um, uh, addicted to making the plan. And it's that whole emotional life cycle of a goal. It's called uninformed optimism. And we go from uninformed optimism to informed pessimism. And some people are trapped in that cycle because the next threshold is the valley of despair. And it is where you meet yourself. It is where you see yourself in the most uncomfortable way. And some of us just aren't ready to break through is that. Is that valley of despair when you don't hit your goals or when you commit to something that you don't uphold or where does that show up? So I, it would be easy to say it's when you're not hitting your goals, but it's actually when you can't even execute on the routine or the consistency oh, yeah. to get to your goals. Yeah. So it's like almost the self-shame that occurs from making a promise to yourself that you continue to fail to yeah. uphold. Yeah. And so we push back a lot on those commitments. So okay. like if you say you're going to go do, you know, 10 things today that you've, mm -hmm. you have no evidence of executing on consistently before, we bring it back to small promises. And so we'll say, let's go nail this first. So we're just actually trying to recondition their brain one day at a time to be able to execute on things without that burst of endorphins and that they can just make it feel normal. It's funny you mentioned that about how planning can sometimes create more um, satisfaction than the event itself. Mm -hmm. um, tangent, but real life example, this is um, we, we get married in a couple of weeks and I was talking to somebody who had just recently got married a week or two ago and and, you know, she said everything went well and it was like, but now we don't have something to plan and look forward mm -hmm. to. You know, it was so interesting, the dichotomy of like, we loved all of the everything that leads up to it. And then the reality sits in and now yeah. it's almost um, it's almost more enjoyable to think about something in the future than yeah. it is when we attain whatever it is in the future. And that's the attachment to outcome. Like and that's. That's why life can seemingly have so much suffering. Like, you know, we've been yeah. at Project U for three years now. We talk about this all the time. But, like, the our expectations are our own suffering. Yeah. It, I mean, like, I'm pregnant right now. I'm, like, five weeks out from having a baby. So you know suffering. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's doing a little bit of suffering. <laughs> but, like, I have I, – this is the first time in my life that I have total clarity on, like, not trying to create an idea of an outcome. I'm, like, healthy baby. Yeah. would be perfect. Huh. And, you know, you have a doula and she's like, you know, what do you want in the room? I'm like, not a salt lamp. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> let's just, yeah, yeah. That's like, it. I just, it's just going to be what it's going to be. I yeah. don't want to have any, you know, expectations around it or any attachments to it because I actually just want to enjoy the moment. I don't want to be, I don't want to not enjoy that beautiful moment because I'm creating an expectation around it now. Yeah. There's something uh, interesting about how, um, how children can almost force you to let go of that expectation component oh, no of doubt, it. Right? Um, <laughs> I'm gonna figure that one out here in a minute. Yeah, I mean, and you know, like I, I, I remember at one point thinking that even healthy wasn't even an expectation that I had yeah. to have. Mm -hmm. That it wasn't even even that was a condition that I was yeah. projecting onto onto uh, Hudson. So it's, it's interesting. Um, so when when you when you think about what's the hardest part of coaching real estate agents? Because real estate agents are a unique human being. What's the most challenging part of that? Um, it's the timing. It's the, it's the amount of time that it takes. That, that's the challenge. That Tell I me think, more about that. Well, I hesitate to go deeper on this because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put an expectation on it. No, um, because there are a lot of people that we work with in our organization that are um, leaning on us or have an expectation of us that we want to, and we know we can't make people do anything. Yeah. And that you know you can't want it more than somebody. I mean, 
um, Michelle Anderson was my MAPS coach, and the very first time I ever got into a room of other productivity coaches, she said, if you think you want it more than them, it's your ego. And that was such a game changer for me because that I was in a room full of people who were like, I, I want this more than you. And I was like, wow, no, that is not even my business. And so hmm. like allowing people to take the time that they need, it, it's such, a, it's such a, a deep change. It's such an evolution of the person that holding space for that amount of timing and then also having production metrics attached to it, it's, it's almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's uh, it, one negates the other almost. And so um, it's hard holding space and having an expectation for them. Yeah. And it takes time. You know what's interesting? I think I would push back though on that ego piece. I just think sometimes you see the greatness in people that others don't, that they don't see in themselves. Yeah. Uh, I know for me, coaching, like coaching our agents or whatever is wanting them to stop the suffering and step into their greatness. Yeah. Um, even when I get nothing out of it, right? I can want no it as much as them. Yeah. I can't want it more than them. Tell me more about that. Still, so, I'm still conflicted on this. So the, this brings me back to the yamas and the niyamas. The, <laughs> I know nothing about okay. this. I know so, a lot of shit, but I don't know okay. anything about this. <laughs> so this is, there's a concept called the himza. And when I was doing my yoga teacher training years okay. ago, we went through no this. No wonder. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Checks out. <laughs> so... Um, there, there's a concept called the himza, and it means nonviolence, and okay. it, and it creates the distinction between help and support. And they say like when you worry about somebody being able to do something, or you try to help them do something without them really being the the driving force behind it, that it's actually a form of violence against them. Okay. And like extreme. Um, and <laughs> like I get the point of it because um, when you worry about somebody, or when you think you know, if, if I don't help them, they're not going to figure it out and yeah. saying, I actually don't trust you to figure this out for yourself. And so, yes, you can want it as much of them and you can be as bought in as they are bought in, but to want it more for them, it actually, I think, can disable their ability to take ownership in that role. And yeah. it's such a powerful experience for them to do it. Yeah. It becomes enablement instead of like allowing yeah. them to struggle or suffer yeah. or to actually gain the value. But, but that you comes can from that. show up every step of the way. Like if they're like, I see it too. And I believe that you mm -hmm. see it in me and they show up, you know, to all of those moments, that's totally different to, to want it as much as them versus them saying, you know, like there are three people we both know right now. I could think of like, yeah. you have so much greatness and like, it almost is a shame to be disappointed for them because they're just not at a place in their life where they're ready to step into their greatness. How do you, uh, to me, that seems like it takes a, a ton of internal energy to, to give and see the greatness in other people and, and to be with them step by step along the way. How do you guard your own energy or how do you like fill yourself up energy wise? in order to be able to show up that way? It's really hard uh, because there's so many people right now. Because you're like, the interesting thing is that you're not someone who's just like, like jumps out of bed and brings like nuclear energy to everything that you do, right? I mean, you show up like as this amazing person, but but you're not a cheerleader, right? No. For them. So, no. so how I do mean, you do that? I mean, a cheerleader, I guess, but yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not um, overly enthusiastic about everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, Holding space for myself looks like removing my expectations around them. And I, I do come back to Ahimsa often because 
it's not it's not about what I can make them believe. It's it's what I can help facilitate for them. So I had to remove myself from, like I don't take responsibility for their failures and I don't take credit for their successes. Like everything comes back to them, and so when I when I get to get clear on my role, I am just a facilitator. I'm I I have to show up like a mirror that reflects things back so that I don't continue to absorb. And like there are a lot of emotional moments in coaching. Um, and I'm really fortunate to work with a group of people like, you know, I've got 70 coaching clients right now and <laughs> I had a hundred, um, it's a lot. And, um, to have deep relationships with that many people, the only way it's possible is for me to not make it my responsibility. Yeah. And you have a great team as well, right? Yeah. That, that helps to facilitate the, the logistics component Big of time. being able to do that Big too. Time. Because it's not just the call that you have, right? Then right. it's all of the like curriculum work and it's all the follow-up and, and the it's the, yeah. and the action items and the sign-ups. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is a business self-contained inside of another business inside of another yeah. business. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's an interesting dynamic to watch. Um, and so for somebody who, you know, I think that coaching has become the like sexy thing to do in our industry. And totally. a lot of times it's, in my opinion, so that that people no longer have to grow as leaders or they don't have the responsibility that comes with out. it. Mm-hmm. Or it's a, yeah, it becomes a way to make easier money. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I challenge that. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what, what, what was your path in order to get here? What did that look like? Um, it's not, it's not like this isn't just here. Here's three steps to get to that. <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah. I do want to say something before I answer that question, because I think that there needs to, there has to be an understood distinction because people think coach, but really they mean mentor. And okay. like, what I mean by that is if you are going into that relationship or into that dynamic, thinking that you're going to show people how to do what you know how to do, then it, it's, it's more about your ego than it is about actually helping people develop themselves or facilitating that development for others. And so like, you have to really know what part of yourself is showing up and saying, I want to be a coach. Because oftentimes I find out when I talk to people who say, I want to be a coach is that they really want to flex okay. what they know. Yeah. And, and they see it as an out to like an, mm-hmm. and I would say that I'm doing more than I did when I was in production, you know, like being a coach versus being in production. Like more workload or more, yeah, yeah more different. energy. Yep. It, it's more, it's more in my like energy lane. Yeah. It's more where I want to play. I didn't, I, cause I get to show up really authentically. Um, but it's not any less work. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I became a coach because, um, there wasn't anyone else on the bench yet when there was a need for a coach. Okay. And I had started, I got started in real estate as an inside sales agent and like totally different path than yeah. most people. And I had no idea what Keller Williams was yeah. or real estate, anything about yeah. real estate. And so, yeah, getting started as an inside sales agent, I started helping inside of the PC program at the market center by helping agents, um, teaching them how to convert because I had figured out how to do that pretty well. Yeah. And then I saw like some opportunities. Um, and so I made like this playbook and like I started creating some structure and then I started doing some follow-up and then um, the PC at the time decided to go back into full production and there was a need. And so um, I happened to step in and I don't think myself included, anyone thought that I would take it in nine months 
from 11 agents to 160 agents. <laughs> and that no we big would, deal. Yeah, yeah. Or that we would be doing $45,000 a month in company yeah. dollar or that like, you know, 56% of our agents would be in production and almost, you know, mo like 80% were brand new and yeah. like, uh, or maybe had been licensed for a year and sold one home in their career and now we're doing 10, 20 million in, in volume every year. And like that, and it wasn't because I had evidence of that type of production either, which was an yeah, imposter Yeah, because you syndrome. sold, what, five houses or something, I think? Yeah, I, I mean, my career housing is like 18. Okay, yeah. okay. Because I sold, um, I worked my pipeline that I had, I phased it out for that yeah. year. But my first week, I put five under contract when I went yeah. and got licensed as an agent. <laughs> I was like, I'm just going to go and sell real estate. Um, and, and, and then I you're like, no, this sucks too. Yeah, I didn't love it. <laughs> I didn't love it. Yeah. Um, and I, well, because I didn't get to show up authentically yeah of course to. yeah you have you've showed for an outcome to some yeah. degree yeah, yeah. Tell, um so you were an isa first mm -hmm. which means you're willing to suffer um or to do <laughs> the to do something consistently the boring thing consistently um what was your mindset like in order to be a successful isa it was the first time i had interacted with mindset at that level before i had um you know, going through my yoga teacher training maybe six months prior to that kind of positioned me to somehow end up in the Keller Williams world um, where that's something that's really common to be spoken about. But I'll never forget my interview with Manda Price for that ISA role. It was the first time anyone had asked me about my future and my goals in my entire life. Wow. No one had ever asked me about that. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a game changer. And I was like, oh, shit, I could be thinking about my future. And so, hmm. oh. What would that look like? And um, how long ago was that? Three years ago? Four. Four years ago? Four, okay. Twenty. Wait. Four. Pretty decent. Four or five. Uh, pretty 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 quick um, growth. I became obsessed. Yeah. Once I understood it was available to me, I started having these ahas that I had actually been operating in survival mode my entire life, and I kept struggling to get through that ceiling, and I had this like, you know, awakening of like. I can't, these skill sets don't actually translate to thrive. So I can't keep using my, my survival skill set to try and, and create a different life because it's actually, it's perpetuating survival, yeah. mode, survival mode. So I just read a lot of books and then I, um, you know, listened to a lot of podcasts and I showed up to all the 411 things and like did, you know, like 10 bolds or something. And, um, and I just got obsessed around mindset because things were clicking for me. And so- Because that was a totally foreign concept to you yeah. prior to that. Yeah, I had never even thought $100,000 a year would be possible. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh, that's not enough. Not yeah. that I need to, no, no, but I it's, get it. you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I can have as much as I want. Yeah. Um, so you, so someone asked you what your future was like and that was the first time. I think that's so interesting, cause, you know, because Gary, um, made a comment recently that I, that really stuck with me about career visioning and his point was that when you do career visioning the recruit the candidate partners with you mm -hmm. when you don't you partner with them yeah and and that's such a good tangible example of yeah. that quote in action so true they sent me with the one thing book after okay amanda price bless that woman she like <laughs> we fell in love with each other the moment we met it was totally love at first sight and she refused to not follow the process that's awesome and so like she took me through all the interviews i was late to my first interview which is <laughs> totally me of fashion uh, <laughs> i'm with you <laughs> yeah, same. um and um and she she stuck to the process and that was a game changer too because it made me respect her more yeah i was interviewing for another role within the same market center okay. i didn't realize there were two teams or yeah. i didn't know any of that 
and they hired me on the spot. And, oh, it, wow. and it actually, and I was like, oh, okay, I'll take the job. And she was like, well, if you got to, if you're going to interview, if you have an interview, like go interview. And yeah. so like, that was their like total mistake. Um, <laughs> love them. But they, and ended up making me respect Manda more. And it gave me more hope for the team um, that I was interviewing for that was making me work for it because it felt more secure. It yeah. actually pr- pr- provided me stability. And that was the team that you were an ISA for first? Yeah. And then you went into the, the PC coaching role um, at that same market center Yeah, afterwards. and I stayed with that team. Um, okay. And I really did think through the team versus solo agent. Yeah. I like, I poked holes in it and I was like, it's gonna cost me more money to go solo. Yeah, so you're, um, you're a leader um, as, a, as a person, right? Like, you know, title, no title, doesn't matter. You're someone who leads people. That's your personality, that's your DNA. Um, what made you willing to be a leader inside of an organization with another leader like, uh, like living, like with Adam, like with everyone? Oh, um, when I understood what ceiling was, and then when I got into Adam's world and couldn't see a ceiling, I, it was without question because I, I don't actually have a desire to be the top leader or the Mm -hmm. only leader or the best leader, like, you know, out of all of the leaders, I, I just want to go do something that fulfills me, stimulates me, challenges me, and creates endless opportunity. And if it looks like leading, that works for me. Honestly, if it was operations, I'd probably still love it because I have a you know this undercover operations side, and I wouldn't have yeah. to be a leader in that either. <laughs> but like, it's just it's the role that I get to to enjoy, like I get to play with my human experience in, and it happens to be leadership. What is it with Livian or with with Adam specifically that makes you willing to be an entrepreneur inside of that? It is, to me, I don't know why you wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's, it, to me, it's like being on a team. It's like um, very little risk, mm-hmm. um, very little overhead, yeah. and unlimited financial potential. And like, and there's constant leverage and opportunity to take your business to the next level and still have profit. And so, um, so those are quantitative. What's qualitative about it? Um, well, I get poured into. Okay. I get poured into, I get to grow, I get to be around leaders that think bigger than I could have ever possibly thought. Um, and so if I'm constantly growing as a person, that's my number one. Yeah. So it becomes that it's a personal growth organization that you also can't outgrow. Yeah. Um, it's a conduit for my personal growth. <laughs> <laughs> Were you paid to say that? No, <laughs> but, but mark that one down. <laughs> time stamp that for Char- sure. I'll send you the invoice. <laughs> Um, what, um, as we wrap up, what's the one question that I haven't asked you that I should have? I don't know, man. You ask really good questions. What do you think of the question you haven't asked that you should have asked? Um, <laughs> I'm doing the interview here. Reverse okay. card. <laughs> um, what's the thing that agents are most afraid of right now? Because I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace. That's what are you hearing? That's the word I'm going to use. Uncertainty. Okay. Agents are most afraid of uncertainty. People are afraid of uncertainty in general. There's very few people in this population that actually operate really well in chaos. We are conditioned to be able to navigate our environment. Our brain, our neural pathways are conditioned for us to be able to navigate our environment. So when we step outside of that environment or when we have a desire to step outside of the environment, that's why we experience resistance. That's why the mind starts telling us stories about all the things that could happen. And we get pulled into the future or into the past and the mind just starts going off. And so it's the uncertainty 
that is changing the way that people are showing up right now because it seems really scary. And you know, when you get a 30,000 foot view, you can actually just see it as another opportunity to work out your growth and mm -hmm. to experience new challenges. But we, I mean, everything we do is about stability. We work to provide ourselves financial stability or freedom or something yeah. that we can count on that we feel is in alignment with what we really want. And when things aren't predictable, we get removed from that certainty or that illusion of certainty, which yeah. we don't actually have. Well, that's what's interesting is, you know, what I've noticed even in myself is that a big portion of my job is I look at numbers and data and financial and you know, macroeconomic yeah. information that impacts the industry. And I used to do that seven days a week. And I, and I have drastically reduced mm -hmm. the amount of intake around that. And all of a sudden, I'm a lot more certain. I was gonna say, was that was that because it was like messing with your mind or like taking you places yeah, you didn't need yeah, to go? Yeah, because the reality is, is when you don't pay, when you when you only pay attention to what you actually can control, mm -hmm. everything is certain. So, are you saying what you focus on expands? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying that our span of control is limited. It is. <laughs> and yeah. when we focus on everything outside of our control, we get uncertain. Yeah. And, and so it becomes such a spiral yeah. of doom that, that agents are caught up in. Yeah. Because nothing has fundamentally changed, period. No, but it's not about, it's the perception. <clears throat> it's the perception that creates, uh, we can, if we can, we can sit here and future cast things that could happen yeah. the, it, to a place that literally does not exist, which exactly. is the future. Yep. And it can create a physical experience in mm -hmm. you right now. It can release cortisol into your body, yeah. which can start this whole brain fog, no sleep, et cetera, eating poorly, all these things. And we can create a, a physical experience right now and at this very moment over something that hasn't even happened yet. And if that's not such a, a great depiction of the brain and how powerful it really yeah. is, that you can actually choose the reality that you want. And so that makes anything that could happen irrelevant because you get to choose what you want right now. Absolutely. So the key takeaway then is focus on what you actually control now. Yeah. How do you want to feel right now? Just do that.